to the 80s we go. Big hair, bright clothes, some very risque advertising. It was also a time of some big political, social and economic changes in New Zealand. The Springbok tour, Rainbow Warrior bombing, decriminalisation of homosexuality, anti-nuclear movement, the stock market crash... It saw fledgling industries take off in the debut of some big events, the Rugby World Cup, and a small show in Nelson founded by Susie Moncrief that was, wow, the world of wearable arts. Sports events were brought to you by tobacco companies, and you probably pulled the curtains on a Saturday afternoon to watch test matches. There were telethons, and yes, we watched those too in our millions. There was even a lady reading the television news for a trip down memory lane and to talk about his book that's prompting all this nostalgia Matt Elliott's with us author of Good as Gold hello Matt good morning Catherine why take us back to the 80s I mean we had the 60s we had the 70s what was so particular about the 80s that made you want to pen a book um, well I was actually I was asked by the publisher to do it but I leapt at the chance because being a child of the 80s having gone through my school years in the 80s um, and retained a lot of bits and pieces that I had collected in that time. Um, I've always looked back on the 80s as a really fun time. I have a huge record collection of music from the 80s and have always thought it's been the 80s were a bit more than just shoulder pads and moose up here. Um, and people have so much nostalgia for the 80s now. I think, and I wonder if it's partly to do with the colours of the 80s, those fluoro blues and pinks and yellows that when you think about the 80s you think about them with some warmth um, and New Zealand sort of brightening up a bit after the very beige and dark Muldoon years of the 70s. We sure as hell went through some uh, tumultuous times as well though uh, and yes. you know that that's another th there's a sense of things happening there was a sense of change a sense of things happening as always there was a sense that Armageddon was probably upon us that seems to be an eternal state of human existence uh, it, it was a it was a strange old decade that's for sure I was like you I was a kid sort of kid and then a teen in, in those times um, and I, I've often wondered whether it's sort of Gen X's pinnacle of experience and that that's um, driving some of this um, nostalgia now. Although we're not very rowdy Gen X, are we? We tend to just sort of hang back a bit and try and stay out of trouble. <laughs> we might have had our rowdy years because there was a lot of you know teenagers and young people getting very involved in issues in the 80s. You know, the nuclear-free badges and um, homosexual law reform badges were really commonly worn by teenagers. I was um, told to take off um, an anti-tour badge in 1985 that I was wearing when I did my afternoon supermarket job at Food Town <laughs> because um, being anti-tour was not the um, stance of Food Town. Okay, um, now, so I had to take that off. Now we're going to do supermarket nostalgia. I was there when they introduced <laughs> scanning. Can you believe it? <laughs> I, we the reason to, I wasn't at the Queen Street riot in 1984 was because I had just started an after-school job in the food town and I had wanted to take the afternoon off but was told that I couldn't because I'd just started this job. And uh, I was getting $2.92 an hour and for the six hours a week because of, you'd get the union add-ons for time and a half and double time after six o'clock and things, I would get $16 a week. Um, I think I was on 276, so we'll, we'll revisit that one later. I do remember having to... Well, I feel like I was doing all right now. <laughs> I remember having to clock in and clock out. So here we go. Yes. Um, it, look, it, it is... The other thing that's sort of the elephant in the room, and, and it, perhaps it adds to the colour, and, and it adds to some of what we're talking about, were 
the Rogenomics reforms, and we won't even mm. go into the endless debates over whether they were essential, whether they ruined everything, um, whether they were essential but were done badly the wrong way round and everything else, right? But what that did was unleash at one point in the 80s a hell of a lot of money and the partying started and the champagne flowed um, and we got the big TV, we got gloss in the 80s, did we not? We got the big TV shows and then it all came to a bit of a crash, didn't it, in 87. But there's, yes. you, you can't ignore the fact that that kind of economic loosening of what were some age constraints. We were just talking about the permissions you used to have to get to import import your records, Matt, or import magazines, you know? Yes, we had wait for somebody to go overseas so they could pick up a duty-free um, you know, tape deck in Hong Kong or, or somewhere because they were so hard to bring into New Zealand. And all of a sudden, those restrictions were loosened and you could get these things, albeit very expensively. I remember friends getting a VCR, the video cassette recorder, and uh, it cost him $1,000. Um, but it didn't take long for prices to come down, and you could start to buy them secondhand from um, people who did appliance repairs. You don't see the appliance repair shops anymore. But it did start to free things up in terms of electronics and music and, and the clothing you could buy. You know, Dr. Mar Martin Boots um, were a lot more available in terms of fashion. I was kind so of that, stuck that in the cream freedom. nomads. In fact, I didn't even think I got to the cream nomads. I think I had the Commodores, which was the per poor person's kind of imitation. I mean, well, all the tricks. Some people swear <laughs> tricks, by the tricks. Right. The tricks had the <laughs> stitch out the middle. Here we go. Yeah. What are some of our, your other personal memories? And then we'll get into the book. One day cricket. Goodness, you had an up and close and personal with Dennis Lilly, you'll tell us about. But there was a, a revolution for, for cricket, of course. Um, and suddenly they started wearing all these colours and we had the one day matches. And again, it's hard explaining to people. We, I've just done a really interesting interview that's forthcoming on the Springbok tour and, and, and the, what rugby was in those days. Literally, mm. the whole country stopped at the same time for an event like that. We weren't all dispersed off on that's our own right. platforms doing our own thing. So what was your experience with, with Dennis Lilly and what was the context? Oh, well, you know, cricket really took off with the way the New Zealand team was playing one-day cricket in Australia. And um, it being at the age that I was, 10 and 11, you know, all the boys wanted to do at my school at St. Peter's, as so many other schools, was just play cricket at morning break and lunchtime. And we would go down to Eden Park after school because, like so many cricket grounds around the country at the time, Carisbrook, Lancaster Park, the Basin, Eden Park, for the final session you could get in for free. So we would, after school, go down to these games. And I can remember being amongst a group of kids on the boundary at Eden Park and asking Dennis Lilly for his autograph and he took my pen and paper and the ball came down from New Zealand batsman and Lilly missed it and it went for four and he turned around and threw the pen and paper at me and um, gave me the sort of salute that he'd given a number of batsmen over the years um, which I dined out on for a couple of days at school but you can imagine in these days, there'd be all sorts of footage of it and Lily would have to be apologising publicly and all this sort of stuff. But it's just part of the rough and rowdy times. Um, I can remember we there's a group of us in a car uh, in the school holidays, I think, and we went past the Intercontinental Hotel in Auckland and Billy Connolly was coming out. And we yelled out the window, hey, Billy. And he turned around and, you know, very demonstrably just gave us the finger in a very comic fashion. <laughs> Um, and so, you know, we dined out on that too. That was great hilarity for us. Mm. Life was slower. That's what you're describing. These days, you'd all have your 
headphones clamped on perhaps and I mean it's being massively um, generalising massively of course but we just get around in our own worlds uh, our own worlds so much more look the serious stuff that happened let, let's work through the book it's interesting you begin within the shadow of Erebus because that was late 79 and I recall I think the Abbotsford slip in Dunedin happened at the same time these two again this kind of sense mm. that Armageddon is always around us um, and for those who don't remember that was when a whole suburb a whole hillside in a suburb near Dunedin had been sliding for some weeks and months and then just took off in one night. The whole thing came down. Um, but Erebus, there was no doubt, you know, by the turn of 1980, that, that was one of those sobering moments in time. So pick up from there and, and just work through some of the key sort of milestones of the era before we get into the fashion. Yeah, well, I, well, I had, I suppose like so many other people did, everybody seemed to know somebody who had been on that Erebus flight. So it really did affect affect the country as a whole. Um, and then we had the 81 tour, and it just, it, it seemed like a really dark, grey few months when this was going on. My father took me in um, an anti-tour march up Queen Street one night, and I, I just remember the fact that we could walk in the middle of Queen Street was one thing, uh, but the number of people and the darkness, but people who were on the footpath are abusing the us, the marchers, as we walked past, the guy stumbled out of I think it was the Endeavour Tavern on the corner of Fort Street and Queen Street with a jug in his hand and his glass. And I can remember him just the abuse that was coming from him towards us as we walked past, which was a little bit frightening. But I was I remember thinking that I was with my father and we were there for, you know, a good reason. He wouldn't have taken me on this march if it wasn't for a for a good purpose. Um and then another thing that was in downtown a few years later was the Rainbow Warrior bombing. And I was on the bus, catching a bus into downtown to catch my bus out to school. And the bus of the, the the bus driver of the ARA bus, the Auckland Regional Authority yellow bus, pulled over on the railway lines down on the quay. And we just stopped and looked across at the forlorn Rainbow Warrior there. Nobody on the bus said anything. And we sat there for some time. I remember that we were all there just looking across at that, quite stunned by the fact that this had happened. And then there was one voice at the back, and I heard this person say, probably the French. Um, and that was the only thing that was said, and then we drove off again. Um, but I, I, the image of that rainbow warrior on its side in the harbour really, really sticks with me. Um, it's just such a terrible thing to happen in our in our waters, in, our, in Auckland's harbour. Yeah. Mm. The other one that, that I think of again, and it was just to do with social change, um, and the sort of painful change for some people and then the sort of the painful birth of, of a more liberated society all round. But one that got right out of hand, remember the, the Queen Street riot in 84? I don't know if you go near this in the book, uh, Artea Square. Um, yes. And, yeah, there was this, there was just this sense of a sort of a, a, a painful birthing, a painful liberating. We must talk about the homosexual law reform um, efforts as well, Fran Wilde and others. Um, and I'm, I'm trying to remember who was the Invercargill MP Norm. Oh, there was one Conservative MP who was coming out with classic one-liners the whole way through this. But again, that was bitterly, bitterly fought, uh, and, it was. and and divided yes. households and divided communities again. Yeah, yeah, and some of the ignorance and fear and the arguments against um, were just just appalling. The ignorance of it, um, it's amazing when you look back on it and see that people were expressing these views so publicly um, as they were. Um, but some of the things people warned against, 
um, such as um, gay couples having, you know, having children, um, being able to have families, <laughs> has happened. And it's been a wonderful thing for so many couples and for children. Um, you know, this, this, the awful things that they were saying are extraordinary. It was an interesting decade for sport, as you said, a great uh, decade for or a great era for uh, New Zealand cricket. Alison Rowe was winning things. What, are, what were the other sporting highlights of the 80s? Well, Susan Devoy right. um, just was unbeatable. And Erin Baker in That's the right, triathlon, she was just such another champion. And when Chris Lewis made his way all the way to the final at Wimbledon, I was a huge tennis fan. But tennis was massive at the time. Yeah on the back of our Davis Cup team and, and Chris Lewis's success. Um, you know, thousands of kids were playing tennis and we were watching tennis, um, you know, really gripped by it. Our Davis Cup team was in the top tier of the world competition. Um, so tennis was massive. You know, cricket had gone through um, amazing things with the World Cup team. And Hadley, of course, was just, you know, everybody knew who Richard Hadley was and we were just... Um, so proud of his achievements and the team too and this young batsman who was coming through by the name of Martin Crowe yes. who was something else again just so stylish um, and football, of course Big Lance we made the, we made the World Cup um, finals did we not um, yes we did that's another and one yeah that, yeah. well that was an amazing journey too just to get to the finals and the timing was really great for football because so many people had turned off rugby and there was this great focus on on football and, and the achievements of our team on the world stage, playing these, you know, hugely famous players with one name from Brazil and so on. And to be in that company um, was wonderful for New Zealand. It was known for rugby, but all of a sudden there we were for football. The book um, is really interesting. It comes up things like the indoor cricket arenas they began around this time. Um, you've got you've got all sorts of memorabilia and nostalgia. A lot of the book is visual, and is it really just about you know? Uh, all the advertising um, that was stepping up a notch, definitely, wasn't it, in the 1980s? The TV advertising, the print advertising. I'm just thinking, was this the era that Metro got launched, the wonderful Auckland magazine by Warwick Roger, and was packed with yes. advertising? Because, as we said, we just had this splurge of a, of a you know loosened economy. Um, and people really ran with that <laughs> in, in, in you know, Auckland and in Wellington in particular. Um, others were suffering, yes, of course. But there was this whole different vibe about our biggest cities. There was. And one of the things in doing the book is I, I thought of it in some ways as like an adult picture book in terms of all the ephemera that would go in there because it's so different to things. Now, for young people who are looking through it to try and make sense of what they're through in the 80s, it's about change as well in terms of how in society and culture we've changed, but also how we represent ourselves and and in advertising, as you say, and with going to a sports event and you, sport event and you get a program, you don't get those anymore. You don't even get a paper ticket anymore. Um, and when I talk to school groups, when they're doing history and research, and I talk to them about photos and looking at ephemera and looking at those things and seeing how different they are, the colours that are used, who's in them, prices, when things are on, those sorts of things. And, and I've had quite a few people contact me saying how much they enjoy the book, which is really nice, but saying, oh, I was at that and I've got that program and, so on, so it's a nice nostalgia thing. Huge big ads for all sorts of things. Oh, this is Flash. I thought it would be Chardonnay. Uh, sorry, um, what was it? Chardon or, or Asti or, or Spumanti, the others as well. But no, this is Verdonet. I don't remember Verdonet in my young years. Um, lots and lots. It was a big decade for advertising, actually. It, it, now, just looking at this, it's just reminding me um, how much it ramped up. Sweetwaters, did it, when did it kick off? 
Sweet well, someone emailed in about that actually. Yes, it started at the, the start of the decade, and um, that was a huge thing, too. Just the lineups. It was one of those festivals which um, eventually petered out. But at the time when it was it was massive, it was massive. People were going from all around the country to attend Sweetwaters, and um, that was our Glastonbury for a little while. Um, huge, and it was really good for New Zealand bands too, because of being able to play on on a stage to New Zealand fans and in great numbers. Because we have to remember that our, a lot of our New Zealand music was not played on the radio. Um, you could see it on Ready to Roll. Um, and student radio would play a lot of New Zealand music. But in terms of our pop music, um, it wasn't being played. It was we, we had to listen to, well, not had to listen, but we were fed American and Australian pop music more than we were in New Zealand music. So for New Zealand bands to be on a, an arena like that was fantastic. Uh, Kitty was famous, of course. She sang at the royal wedding. Let's look at what some others are throwing in here. A sixty-dollar skirt was from James Smith's, and I paid for it with my very first FPOS purchase. Someone else <laughs> says it was the beginning of cash machines, as we called them. Yeah, yes. FPOS machines. Yeah, yeah. Um, another says the eighties were all about the anti-nuclear movement. I remember sending telegrams of encouragement to David Longy from the post office in Kaitaia. It was a matter of saving. Uh, the planet, and we made a difference. Uh, let's see another one here. The thing that yeah, there sung- was a lot of national pride too, mm-hmm. in terms of of being anti-nuclear and standing up against the world, and that that was all part of our that growing confidence that we seemed to have in the eighties, not just in the sporting field, but in terms of you know being New Zealanders and saying yes to this and no to that, and and so on, and, and arguing amongst ourselves, but on the world stage, being able to put our hands up and say, no, we don't want nuclear weapons. Um, So much more that we could go into in the book, but someone else said this is, she's she's morphing our two interviews between the protest songs in the 80s. Remember this one? This was huge. doing well in the yachting were we not so much in 87 but beyond that um and of course you cover that epic 1984 general election and the events that um follow afterwards but a lot of pictures here a lot of just remember wins and um thank you for coming in and doing it with us matt elliott the book is good as gold you're welcome the 1980s published by david bateman limited